want to look at uh, Genesis chapter 3. We have finished up uh, Genesis 1 and 2 about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve in a perfect world. And today we go to that chapter that turns everything for the rest of the Bible until you get to Revelation chapter 21 with the fall of man. We're going to start looking at that today um, by reading these verses from Genesis chapter one, verses one, or chapter three, verses one through seven. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Father God, this is the word of God. For us today. It is a word that is helpful to us. It is a word that is spoken, Father, to instruct us and to make the people of Redfield Wesleyan effective and able to serve you. And we just pray, O oh God, today that you would help each one of us to take in uh, the word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to uh, to gain from it, to grow from it, to be encouraged by it, to be rebuked by it, to be challenged by it. We pray, O oh God, today that you would just, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us and help us, Lord, to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we move into Genesis chapter 3, we make this monumental pivot from the perfect world in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 into the world in which you and I live in. A world that is stained and contaminated by sin and by evil. And though we're going to camp here for a little while, we should note that God's word does not give a great amount of space to the devil or to the fall of man. The Bible is really much more interested in stating the facts as they are and then talking to us about how to live in this new reality, this fallen world that we live in. And so that's what we spend the rest of the Bible talking about. And there's really very few verses in the Bible about the fall of man. In fact, you find this original reality, this this perfect place, this perfect world, this Garden of Eden, you find that in only two chapters of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, only those two chapters. 
the fall of man happens and sin enters into the world and there's only 13 verses spent on it. Genesis alone spends chapters on the life of Abraham. It spends 13, 12 chapters on the life of Joseph. So God's big concern is not that um, answering all of our questions about sin and evil and how that got here and all of that, but he's really more concerned about building and shaping men and women and boys and girls that God can use in this sin-filled, corrupt, and evil world that we live in. That's his heartbeat. That's what Genesis is really about. So chapter 3 starts out talking about this serpent. And we are not to be enamored by, by it. We are not to be overwhelmed by the serpent. We are um, not to be overwhelmed or we give too much thought and attention to Satan for whom the serpent represents, because God never gives Satan center stage. And neither should you and I in our thinking and in our minds. We should never be naive about Satan. We should never be naive about the serpent. But our focus needs to always be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the theme that is woven all throughout the scriptures. So as we look at this, and as we look at at this text in particular, what do we know about the serpent? Well, first of all, it's interesting that he says the serpent is one of the wild animals that God had created. So even in the perfect Garden of Eden, there were wild animals and domestic animals and all of that. But there were wild animals, and God had created um, this wild animal. Um, And the fact that God made this serpent tells us that that serpent was good because God looked at all of creation and said, this is good. Most likely that serpent originally was beautiful, able to walk. Because you will remember it was part of the curse that the the serpent had to slither on the ground as snakes do today. So that serpent, you know, was probably able to walk and all of that. We know that the serpent was craftier than the other wild animals. That means that the serpent was sly and clever right. We also know that the serpent was inhabited by Satan. Satan had taken root in that serpent. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 and then Revelation chapter 20 verse 2, both of those places refer to Satan as that old serpent. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. And he often covers up his lies with half-truths. Most of the time, you and I will not be deceived by direct, outward, outright lies. If we are to be deceived, we will be deceived by a half-truth. 
covering up a lie with some shred of truth in it. And that is Satan's specialty. Then you will notice that the serpent was able to speak and to reason. And that serpent came to Eve and reasoned with her. And what the serpent does is he challenges God. He challenges your trust in God. Your faith and your confidence in God. He, he challenges you with, did God really say that? So he challenges God's word. And then when it comes down to the nitty gritty, he begins to challenge the character and the motivations that God has for you in your life. And he will begin to make you think that God is not for you. That is one of the chief aims of Satan in the world today, is to convince you, especially as a Christian, that God really does not have your best interest at heart. This serpent was also limited by the sovereignty of God, the sovereign control of God. The serpent is never allowed to exercise brute force with Adam and Eve. The serpent was able to reason with them, was able to deceive them, was able to have a conversation with them, but the serpent was never able, was never allowed to just go up and force Adam and Eve to take of the apple. No, he tricked them into eating the food, the apple. God even put limits on Satan when he was testing Job. And I just want to remind us here as we look at this text that Satan may win some battles. But God will win the war. And that is what Revelation confirms for us so much. And then the last thing that we should notice here before we go on is that the serpent here in Genesis chapter 3 is the source of evil and temptation. There was nothing in Adam or Eve like you and I have called the sin nature that has a natural tendency to want to rebel against God. That wasn't there. Adam and Eve had none of that, so that they, the only way that Adam and Eve could be tempted even to do wrong, to rebel against God, is for this outside source, this serpent, to come and to deceive them and to lead them into temptation. So it comes from the outside rather than from the inside. You and I, when we sin, sometimes it is from outside sources, and sometimes it is from inside sources. The serpent chose his victim. There were only two. There was Adam and there was Eve. So why? Why would the serpent go to Eve to initiate the conversation instead of going to Adam directly. I don't really know the answer to that in full, but I suspect that it has a lot to do with his interest in undermining God in 
everything that God wants. Destroying the plan and the work and the purpose of God. And God's purpose in making Eve was that Eve would be a helper to Adam. And so he just wanted to destroy everything. Family dynamics, all of that kind of stuff. And he goes to Eve because... If he can help Eve not be a good helper to Adam, he can destroy part of God's plan and initiative and purpose. If he can make Eve lead Adam to do something that he should not do, then Adam will distrust or mistrust Eve in the future, when Eve comes to give her some critical piece of information that God specifically enabled Eve to have. Many, many times in in our male lives, we need the wisdom and the intuition that a woman gives. And um, Satan did not want Adam to rely on that and to trust in that. And so he went and he attacked Eve and he begins a conversation and he simply begins by raising doubts about what God had said. Did God really tell you that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? It's a misleading question. And it suggests to Eve already that God is really a kill, you know, he's a joy killer. That God is out to destroy their freedom and not to allow them to enjoy life to its very fullest. God certainly wouldn't have told you that you couldn't eat from some of the trees in the garden. And, And it's kind of misleading because he doesn't just say this one tree. He says, did God really say you couldn't eat from any trees in the garden? He stretches it. It suggests that God has forbidden more trees than just that one tree. And the devil will always get our eyes off all the things that we can enjoy as a Christian. And he will talk to us about the one thing we can't do and enjoy. And he will let that eat away at our heads and our hearts. And our focus will be in all the wrong things because we're thinking about that one thing (laughs) that I want to be able to do and can't. Instead of thinking about all the things that God has given us freedom to do. And friends, I just want to say to us, God has allowed every one of us so much freedom. Go and enjoy that. Focus on that. So his first attempt raises doubt about what God has said. It raises doubt about God's character and his motivations. And he basically tells Eve that, you know, really, Eve, you should be the center of the world for yourself. You should not let God tell you what is best for you. You see, before this, God had always been the center of Eve's world. And Satan was suggesting, no, no. 
That's not good for you. You don't want God to be the center of the world. You want yourself to be the center of the world. And that is the very essence of sin. Anytime that you and I put our own interests above the interest of God that he has in our life. That is the nature of sin, and that is always the attempt of Satan for us to replace God, kick him off the throne of our life, and to put ourselves on the throne. I want you to notice there that Satan is so wise that he does not go to Eve and say, you know, I really think you ought to worship me. We wouldn't fall for that. We wouldn't kick God off the throne to put Satan on. But too often we fall for kicking God off the throne of our life to put ourselves on. That's tempting. That's the nature of sin. Sin is always the establishment of ourselves and our own interests, and what we want, and our pleasures, and our desires, and all of that above what God says to us. Instead of Eve being God-centered, Satan wanted Eve to be self-centered. And Eve responds, and Eve is brilliant, and she is exactly right. She says, well, you're wrong. We can eat from all the trees in the garden. Except for this one specific tree. She, I mean, she nails it. She's got the classic argument. She's right all the way. She says, we can eat from all these trees. There's just this one tree over here. We can't eat from that tree. As a matter of fact, if we even touch the fruit of it, we will die. And like I said, she is brilliant and she is right. She is exactly right. But in responding, Eve continues the dialogue with Satan and that is never a good idea. And it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. (laughs) It is never a good idea to have a conversation and a continued dialogue with Satan. When he is tempting you, you just flee. You run. (laughs) You don't continue the conversation. You will always lose. The longer and longer you keep the conversation going, the more Satan will wear you down. So you flee. That's what the New Testament says, is you flee from the devil. You don't argue with him. You don't have a conversation with him. You don't dialogue with Satan. You flee. Our focus needs to be on God. And we are to be thankful for all the things that we can enjoy. And so Satan relishes in the fact that this conversation is going on and he picks up the conversation and he goes a little bit deeper with a lie this time and he says directly to Eve, you certainly will not die. And he's pretty sure of himself. 
He comes across with great confidence there. You certainly will not die. That is an outright lie by God. And it has just a small element of truth in it. No, they would not physically die immediately. But it was a lie. Death entered into their being immediately after eating the apple, and they began to die from that time on. Spiritual death and separation of fellowship with God like they had had beforehand, that was already dead. You see that separation when Adam and Eve try to cover themselves up and hide from God. There's no longer that fellowship that they had before. And then Satan goes another step further and he continues to cut down the character of God by making God himself out to be selfish. A God who is so selfish that he doesn't want you to be able to enjoy everything you could enjoy. And so Satan attacks a perfect, loving God, and says, no, God is selfish. He doesn't want what is best for you, Eve. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, that lie worked on three different fronts. First of all, It accused God of being selfish. While the whole time, Satan's main approach was to turn Eve and make her selfish. (laughs) So he's accusing God of being what he's trying to make Eve become. God's selfish. He doesn't want what's best for you. And every time you are tempted and you give in to it, That is what you're giving into. You're believing that God is withholding from you something you deserve. And you want it. And you become selfish because you want what you want and not what God wants for you. Watchman Nee said all sins are committed for the sake of of self. Just ponder and think about that. All sins are committed for the sake of self. Every time we sin, we sin for our own (laughs) selfish purpose. The second way in which this worked was that it aroused envy in Eve that reflected the very envy that Satan had for God. Now, if you go to um, Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 14, verse 28, but I don't remember that for sure, Um, so somebody can prove me wrong on that real easy. Uh, But if you go there, you will find where, where God kicks Satan out of heaven, along with a third of the fallen angels who follow him. And, um, you know, Satan had been this wonderful angel, And yet he became envious of God and he wanted God's place. He wanted to be the star of heaven. 
And Satan comes, and when he tempts us, he wants to make us just like himself. And so, because he envies God, he wants you and I to envy God's rightful place in our lives. Satan was cast out of heaven for wanting to be above God, and now Satan was doing that very same thing in the life of Eve, tempting Eve to place herself above God. The hard thing that we have to deal with when we look at sin and when we look at caving into temptation is to recognize that when we sin, we are placing ourselves above God. That we envy something about God that we, we want to be Him. We want to be able to completely dominate. We want to be able to decide what's best for us and all of that. We want to be sovereign like God. And it doesn't work. But in addition to Satan making Eve envious of God, Satan also aroused a false sense of deficiency in Eve. And when you and I cave to temptation, it quite often we do it because we have been convinced that there is something lacking in our lives that we must have, and God is not going to provide it for us, and our spouse is not going to provide it for us, and the perfect world in which we live is not going to provide it for us, and we have to go get that thing. I want to remind you, this was in the Garden of Eden. Eve was living in a perfect world, and Satan still convinced her that there was There was something lacking in her life. You and I don't live in a perfect world. Every one of us has something missing in our life. It doesn't take a big stretch for Satan to come along and trick us and deceive us and get us geared down the wrong path because we are lacking something we need. (laughs) But, But here's... Adam and Eve, they're living in the Garden of Eden. They have everything they could possibly want. And Satan's method of attack is to convince Adam and Eve that they are lacking something. Be very, very careful when the devil starts to whisper in your ear that you are lacking something you need. That's how come contentedness in the New Testament is so important. Because if we allow the the devil to whisper in our ears that we need something we do not have and we keep eating and letting that gnaw away at us, eventually we will sin to get what we think we must have. And that doesn't have to be a thing. It can be a person. It can be all kinds of things. But that spirit of deficiency, that spirit of 
I, my life is not perfect, and, and God is obviously not going to provide this for me. And it's right over here in this one tree, and I can just go over there, and if I can just grab that, my life will be perfect. And most of the time when we finally get to that thing and we grab it, we find out our life is not perfect even after we got that, and we go looking for another tree with another apple on it. And we grab that, and we find out that doesn't work either. Because we will never find our satisfaction. We will never find fulfillment in one more thing, one more activity, just this one thing that we know we shouldn't have. Life is found in Jesus. It is not found on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil is not creative. He may be sly, but he's not creative. He still uses the very same deception that he used on Eve with all of us. He doesn't have a new plan. He's using the same methods, the same arguments with us today that he used on Adam and Eve. He still uses the same lies. The result of the serpent's lie was simply to not believe that God has his best interest. That his, his, his plan for you is his best interest for you. God wants what is best for you. He loves you. And if Satan can get you to doubt that, And not believe that. And to believe that when God says, no, you cannot have this, that he actually knows that it's best for you not to have that. That's what Satan will always try to do, is destroy your confidence and your trust in a good, gracious, heavenly Father. Do not let him destroy your faith. Do not let him destroy your trust. Enjoy and treasure all the fruit from the garden that God has given to you. Instead of focusing on the one tree that he has forbidden.